Hi, I'm your host Pratik Panda and you're listening to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Here we talk to the best and brightest in influencer marketing to help answer all your questions from finding the right influencers to making sure you have the best influencer marketing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome everybody to another episode of Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Joining us today is Jesse Grossman, an entrepreneur in the digital media space and the founder of Women in Influencer Marketing, which is an exclusive networking group for women who have made a name for themselves in the world of influencer marketing. She's also previously built and sold a multi six-figure influencer management company. And before we get into our conversation today, I'd ask everyone to hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platforms if you haven't done it already so you don't miss out all the amazing episodes that we have planned for you. Thank you so much, Jesse, for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to dig into everything today. Awesome. Sounds good. So let's jump straight into it. Let's start with the whole world of influencer marketing and talent management, right? How did you get started? What was your calling? Yeah, so everyone gets into influencer marketing and very different pathways. Mine happens to be through talent management. So before I worked in influencer marketing, I did work in something somewhat adjacent. So I used to represent actors in commercials. So just a different type of talent in brand partnerships, you know, but in like traditional media, so on TV and in print, on the radio, things like that. I ended up opening up their influencer division at that talent agency and it still exists to this day. And I only left because I started my own agency and that has since sold. And now I coach managers still, which is pretty great that I can still be in that world. Like it's a very specific. It's its own thing within the influencer industry, that being management. And I get to sort of coach them and help all these people improve and build their businesses, which is pretty awesome. That's amazing. And another really big initiative that you've started is Women in Influencer Marketing. Can you tell us a little bit more about it as well? And I've been noticing a lot more women in the influencer marketing community, and maybe there is some light you can shed on that as well. Yeah. So I have two different companies presently once I sort of transitioned from having my own management company. So back in 2017, I launched this passion project called Women in Influencer Marketing or WIM for short. It was just that. It was just a passion project. And I was basically looking for people to connect with to bring deals to my clients. I had so many more questions than answers about the industry. So we decided to like put on an event and start a Facebook group and see if there was any traction. Cut to, you know, so many years later, and now it's like a full-fledged networking membership organization. We have in-person events all over the country, a mentorship program, like so many resources and hundreds of members. So that's a little bit about WIM. And then in addition to that, I also have a consultancy as well. So that's where I run the coaching for managers. I also do recruiting of influencer marketers. So all the work I do is within the influencer space in different capacities, but they're all awesome. It's nice to not have any one day be the same, you know? That's amazing. And I mean, especially going back to your passion project, whim picking off like that, I think that's one of the best ways to build something from scratch when it's purely driven out of passion and you see it grow and then turn into a large community. That's really amazing to see. And you 
talked a little bit about your day revolving around influencer marketing. Tell us something new that's happening in the space that you think is new, it's the latest in the space or something that all other influencer marketers should get aware about. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion recently about threads and how that will impact the social media landscape. It's like any new platform and there are new ones coming out like every couple of months. I mean, this one, I feel like a lot more people are talking about because it's sort of the right place at the right time on like Twitter's general decline. And it's by Meta and it's directly integrated to Instagram. So I think there's a lot of people curious about it, certainly wondering if they should be on it, if they should really implement a strategy there. And if there's business to be done, I think it's so early on that it's definitely going to be hard to tell. But of all of the comparable platforms that have come out to rival Twitter since it's changed hands, I definitely think that Threads has the most promise to really have staying power. So we'll see. I'm enjoying it. Are you on there yet? I'm not on there yet. I did have a fair amount of FOMO to, you know, join immediately. And then I saw a screenshot that if you have to be off of threads, you have to basically get rid of your Instagram account as well. And to be honest, you know, I, for one, if I were not a marketer by profession, I think I would have stayed off of social media. I have friends who work for Meta on the engineering side who don't have active profiles on any of those platforms. I've seen a lot of benefit out of social media, definitely, but I would rather be on a few which I can make the best use of, the most positive use of, than on too many and trying to keep up. And, you know, even with Instagram, a lot of my friends still make fun of it. I am even today an Instagram noob and most often than not, I don't even know how to do stuff on the app. And that's really funny. And a lot of my friends find it really funny that I struggle using Instagram. And I'm honestly a big content consumer on a platform like Instagram, whereas on LinkedIn and on Twitter, I'm more of a content creator as well, right? So just some platforms that I've not been super comfortable with. But going back to your point, you said that Threads is a platform that you think shows some promise. Why do you think that? I mean, I think because it's so directly integrated with Instagram, like there have certainly been other platforms that have come out in the last few months that are text-based platforms, like pretty directly competing with Twitter and gathering some of the audience that they've recently lost. But those other ones are all new platforms. And to be a successful social media platform is incredibly hard these days. So the fact that like Threads is directly integrated with Instagram. In fact, if you log on to Instagram right now, you'll see a way to toggle back and forth between the two. You know, they have that little number on the top of the profile that says like what number you were to sign up for Threads. And you can share your content from threads to Instagram and a story and a post. So there's that branding there. It's interesting to me that they connected them, but I mean, it's technically its own app, which is just interesting that they didn't necessarily like put it directly in the Instagram app. So it's like, very directly related. But yeah, I mean, I see it having saying power. I feel like there's a desire for a lot of people post-pandemic and not everybody fits into the demo that loves video. You know, video has been the biggest thing for the past couple of years and there's certainly a huge audience for that, but it's not everybody. Some people love Twitter and some people love LinkedIn is another one that's sort of like very more text-based and there's just a desire for it and they really came at the right time. 
and they just have the most promise just based on their resources. Okay, so let's dive a little bit deeper into Threads itself, right? Like it's not the first disrupting social media app or whatever, right? Like there's going to be a lot more that will come. The entire space is still open for a lot of disruption. But now that Threads has launched and a bunch of people have joined it and we've seen some usage numbers being reported as well and looks like the daily active users is actually one of the lowest amongst all of these top apps. Let's look at it from two lenses, from the lens of an influencer and from the lens of an influencer marketer. So if you're a marketer, is it time for you to start thinking about a threads strategy? So if you're a marketer, it depends, right? So if you're on the brand side and you're running a brand's account, I just think that's sort of par for the course. Like it falls under like you just have to. We did like a little roundup last week on our social of like some of the first more interesting threads posts by a variety of different brands. So you'll see a ton of press about like American Eagle getting on there and just posting funny stuff like Wendy's, of course, because I think Wendy's has such a great presence on Twitter that I was like, oh, I'm so curious what they're doing on threads, like H&R Block, like The Gap. I mean, there's so many different brands. So I feel like if you're just running a brand account, you should. I think that the strategy should be slightly different than the content that you create on the other platforms simply because it's a different format. You know, different things are expected on each platform. And if you just post like a short form video, which you can post on threads, I think it stands out a little bit and not necessarily in a good way. So I think it's important for brands to sort of like learn the speak of each platform and what the norm is and adapt it for what their messaging, what they want it to be. But then on the flip side, my whole world is influencer marketing. So when it comes to hiring threads influencers. I mean, I have definitely seen some people with thousands of likes already and hundreds of comments already, which is pretty surprising to me. But I definitely think that's in the minority. I'd say that most influencers that I'm seeing who, you know, they have a sizable audience on their Instagram, they got threads to like check it out. Most of them are not seeing a fraction of the engagement that they're seeing on their Instagram account. So It's worth experimenting with. And I think the best way to do it is probably, you know, when you're working with an influencer, ask them, like, what are some of your supplementary social accounts? They might say threads, they might say Pinterest, maybe like they're big on YouTube shorts or something like that. And I just am one for like maximizing the heck out of every engagement. So if I'm putting all this energy and effort into working with an influencer, I want the most impact that I can get in that one engagement. And so if we are only doing an Instagram reel, but they're also on threads and they're also on Pinterest and all these other platforms, like I want to bake that into my agreement, my contract so that I can distribute it in other channels. And normally, if it's either a cut down of the original content or just the original content, maybe slightly differently repurposed for the other platforms, you don't normally have to pay like double or triple the fee. It's like an incremental increase. And so it feels like you're getting more value for your money, which everybody wants. Got it. That makes sense. And that would have been the ideal next question that I would have asked, right? Because every platform has a different content format that works better. So even if you look at this from an influencer's perspective, most of them are already overworked. They're planning a lot of content. They're pushing out a lot of content almost on a daily basis. From their perspective, is Threads 
sort of a entirely new take or would you advise an influencer to go experiment but maybe repurpose some of the existing content that they have you know i will never be that person to give blanket advice for creators maybe it's because i'm a former manager and i coach managers and stuff but i see every creator as having their own unique business like really no creators two businesses are the same so With that being like a fundamental belief that I have, you sort of know what your audience wants and the way that they want it if you've done it for long enough. And what I mean by that is if your audience is primed for like super long form, intimate content, then YouTube is probably your place or a podcast and some other places. But you know, threads are very text-based and it's current. Like people post often on threads. So it feels slightly more reminiscent of like Instagram stories or not even YouTube shorts. Like Instagram stories is probably the most or like some people are still on Snapchat, similar to that, like a day in the life or like a little bit behind the scenes where what I do think is particularly interesting and something to note for threads for creators is if you feel as if you really have cultivated a community where your audience is really primed to have two-way conversations where it's not just you speaking at them, but they respond. And then maybe they also speak amongst each other even. Threads could be really interesting for that because that is one of the other ways that people aren't necessarily talking about how it does differ even from Instagram because they're like, well, you could just like comment on a post. Like what is the real difference? It's literal threads. Like I equate it to Slack. I'm on Slack for work a lot and you have threads within Slack to build those conversations. And so if there's a lot to talk about. And if you want to really truly engage with your whole audience and have them build thought-provoking content around that and get their opinions and get them talking, then Threads could be a really interesting choice for you. All right. Interesting. So it looks like in this process, you've convinced me to sign up for Threads today. I will do that. But moving on to the next question, which is more of a fun take that I ask almost all of my guests. Give me one controversial hot take that you have on influencer marketing. It could be something that you strongly believe in. Maybe not everybody agrees to, but do you have something like that? Well, this is certainly a hot take of current times. So in the States, at least, there's been a big conversation around the SAG-AFTRA strike that's been happening over the past, like, I mean, I think it's been less than a week that's from when we're recording this, at least, and how that impacts the creator economy and creators and influencers. And I had a whole conversation with someone last night about this. I have a unique perspective on it because that's the world that I came from. And transparently, there's a very clear reason why I got out of the world working with actors and unions and traditional media and transitioned into working in the creator economy because to me, there's more opportunity broadly. That's probably like the best summation I can share. Some people are saying, well, we should turn down work if there's like, let's say a movie premiere that the production company or the studio wants to hire influencers to promote the movie. Like Barbie has been everywhere these days. So that's a really relevant example. And 
people are questioning like, can I work on that? Like, is that okay? And of course, like technically speaking, I mean, if you're not part of the union, then of course you can work on it because like you have no loyalty to anybody. But there are a lot of things out there to the effect of, well, if you ever want to join the union, then they'll never have you if you, you know, work on a union project as non-union currently during the strike. The hot take basically, and this is like probably an hour-long conversation that we can have, so I'll try to keep it short. It's just like most influencers, the way that SAG after is currently set up, my opinion is that like they don't service influencers. They have an influencer agreement too. And a few years ago, we actually had a rep from SAG after do an entire masterclass with WIM, which is on our website. And, you know, it was right when the influencer agreement came out and we wanted to learn about it. It doesn't service the influencer industry. It's actually like very antiquated. And I think that's why they've had a lot of the issues that they've had. The fact that they're striking is a huge failure, in my opinion, of the union in general. But as it relates to the creator economy, because there have been a lot of questions around that, if you're in solidarity with the acting community and you simply just want to support, then turn down the work. But will something actually happen to you? Will there be repercussions for you? And is it likely that in the future you're going to want to join the union? There's like a 1% chance. So take that for what it is, you know? Got it. That's very interesting. And talking more about the creator economy, right? It's definitely opening up more opportunities. Do you see any gaps in the creator economy space that you are particularly interested in and you think, okay, these are still pockets of the creator economy that require a lot more products to come in, businesses to come in, uh, you know, and if you want to share more about that. Yeah. I mean, where do I even begin? Like, yes, yes, and yes. Like definitely in so many different areas. Like I'm excited by people who honestly have the balls to just build in the creator economy because so many people just work for other companies, you know, that have been in existence for a while. And if they're innovating, it's very slight, to be honest with you. We have an event twice a year called the Best in Influencer Tech because I'm personally very passionate around technology and the influencer industry. And so if we can find people who are sort of innovating in that place, then I think it's exciting and I want to focus on it. So in different areas, you know, I don't know, I was at a conference a few weeks ago and people were talking a lot about this interesting space of like creator, but airing more on the entrepreneur side, not like your typical creator. They were phrasing it as like a B2B creator. I don't think that's the right way to describe it necessarily, but founders basically who are very active on social media and like there's a market there for sure. I also think that there's definitely more that could be done in terms of community building and just creating tech that allows that to be facilitated better. I really liked Web3 <laughs> and it's sort of diminished in popularity tremendously. So that's not where I would focus, but I do hope that it has a resurgence in the future. And then last, I would say payments. There are definitely some companies out there that have tried to tackle that issue because influencer marketing partnerships, generally most successful companies are trying to do it at scale. And in order to do anything at scale, you just have to have good technology around you. 
And even the few companies that I know about who've tried to tackle that problem, like they've missed the mark just slightly. So I still think that there is definitely some white space in that. And there's definitely opportunity in anything financial. And it's like fintechs and the creator economy. There's a lot there. So for anyone listening who's in that space, go after it. Yeah, definitely very, very helpful for everybody who's listening. On the payment side, right? Do you think that there is enough transparency on pay? Like we've been doing a lot of influencer marketing campaigns and the expectation on payouts can vastly differ. And it has nothing to do with how many followers you have. It's just sometimes people just know what they want to be paid, right? Do you think there is some sort of resource which could be helpful for marketers as well as influencers to really understand what kind of price points should they be working on for different kind of platforms as well as formats? Yeah. I mean, the best resource, to be honest, is getting a talent manager and somebody on your team who's privy to tons and tons and tons of negotiations because what that's going to provide them is perspective. Because essentially, influencer marketing pricing it's just based on what people will pay. You know, that's the reality. It isn't unionized. There isn't like a minimum amount that people should be paid at all. So, you know, the ideal and probably the best case scenario is, you know, you get to a point that it makes sense to have a manager and you want to work with somebody who is managing other talents similar to you, not exactly a copy because you don't want to compete with their roster, but similar so that they're privy to a lot of other partnerships and deals for creators who are similar. And they're seeing what rates are floating out there and they're seeing what deal terms are being negotiated. And so then when it comes to you, there's so much more experience there for them to be able to pull from. Got it. Makes sense. And as a marketer, like, okay, budget and price points is one thing. But even if we take a few steps back, how do you think somebody should go about identifying the most authentic influencers for their brand? Yeah. I mean, it seems like a simple question, but it's actually like a fairly complex question that takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. There are certainly some tech platforms out there that absolutely claim to be able to help identify those people. I'm a big proponent for trial and error, honestly, because I don't think that there's really a platform that can certainly can't guarantee anything. So, you know, digging into their historical posts, like seeing who's engaging and what they are engaging the most with. Because if you're a shoe company and their audience is really most engaged when they talk about travel, let's say. But, you know, you've seen a post that they posted about shoes before and like no one really engaged, it didn't really move the needle, then that influencer might not be the best fit. I think most people, it's most important to look at the audience and not as important to look at the influencer. And you're talking about earlier about like hot takes. I think that that's a very common misconception when it comes to brands. They're like, oh, that influencer, like they're so on brand for us or you know, they love our product. So it makes so much sense. They'll just speak so highly about us. That's all fine and everything. But if their audience isn't into you, then it's pointless. So it's so much more important to 
figure out who you're looking to reach. Are you looking to reach your you know, legacy clientele or are you looking to capture a new audience? And if so, like, are these people that are willing to spend a ton of money? Like, is your product priced very high? Is it a product that you would only buy one time? Like that's a different type of person versus somebody who's paying like on a monthly basis. It's a subscription or something like that. So first, I guess, just like identifying the type of person, the main demographic and avatar of your customer. And don't be afraid to like ask for proof, ask for case studies and ask for screenshots when you are going to market, going to influencers and testing the waters in those introductory conversations. Like say, like we are specifically looking to reach this type of person. And can you show us examples of past partnerships or just even organic content that you've produced where you've tapped into that audience and let them share that with you. It's really beneficial. Awesome. No, that is great advice. And I think a lot of marketers, especially if they are reaching out to influencers that have a fair amount of clout and it can seem intimidating to ask for proof, but I think that's great advice that we should ask for it. A little bit more on something that you touched upon is taking help from a talent manager. How do you go identify a good talent manager and what makes a good talent management strategy? So it's hard. I'm not going to lie about that. Like there are a lot of great managers out there, but there are a lot of people out there who are like self-proclaimed great managers and don't really have the experience to back it up. So as somebody who likes to be safer than sorry, I would just actually assume that the managers that you're speaking with are not qualified until that they prove that they are. So for me, like somebody who has negotiated for a number of influencers, like at least 50 influencers or something over the course of a few years, like you want to make sure that they have the contacts that you're hoping for. What I will say before I even get into that though is like expectation setting is so hugely important on all sides when entering into that type of relationship. So to like level set, I think that there's this common misnomer that an influencer will sign with an agent or a manager and immediately like the expectation is, oh my gosh, like my business is made and I'm going to now work with all the top brands that I've always wanted to work with, even if I literally was partnering with no one <laughs> before that manager came into the picture. That is literally like never the case. The ideal situation is that you hustle just as much as your manager does and they are big on relationships big on keeping you top of mind and doing that with, you know, marketing. A lot of managers have newsletters. Like their job is to keep you top of mind for all of the brands and companies that you want to work with. And they're salespeople at the end of the day. They're just selling people instead of things or services. So you want to make sure that this person is comfortable and excels at selling. You want to make sure that there's as much transparency there as possible. The best manager talent relationship or when there's implicit trust in both directions that I trust and respect that you're going to do your job phenomenally and vice versa. Because the ideal situation, like I said before, everyone is hustling, but 
you're in your lane creating content. You know, if I connect you with this agency and I say like, take a meeting with them, they want to meet you. You can handle yourself in that meeting and speak to your brand intelligently and get them excited. And then I'm on the back end organizing things and, you know, pitching you and negotiating things. And everyone is just at their best and brightest. And that's definitely the ideal situation for working with a manager. Got it. Makes sense. Can you share a little bit about some example of a brand that you've come across or a brand that you'd like that have really figured out how to do influencer marketing really well? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Like Adidas is probably a really good example in my mind. So when I was representing talent, one of my talent became part of their ambassadorship program. And they're still part of it to this day. And I've been privy, obviously, to how much she made for that and how much... I don't know how much she's currently making for that because I don't represent her anymore. But the starting rates were like, very respectable. And the length of the agreement was a 12-month contract. And this is years ago. So I feel like, generally speaking, Adidas just really has embraced influencers. And when they find one person to work with, they're not just a one-off agreement influencer partnership. It's like a true ambassadorship program. And I remember negotiating that agreement and like, it was pretty open. Like it wasn't so well defined with the theory being like, we're going to continue to get to know each other and things in the world are going to change. And so, you know, it's like certain amount of pieces of content, generally speaking, but let's do this thing together. And there was a lot of trust given, a lot of respect that was given. And I know that she's still with them to this day. They've also very much into storytelling, which I think is so smart. It's just a more interesting and dynamic type of content. So I love watching what they're doing. You know, it could have gone in such a different direction because they're a fitness company, yet they're working with people of all shapes, all sizes, all colors, and they don't seem to be doing it just to check a box because they've been doing it for so long and so consistently that it really just seems part of their brand ethos. And so Adidas is one that I just think is incredible. Awesome. That's a great example. And I think the key thing there is to understand that as a marketer, you want to continue to build deeper relationships with the influencers that you work with, right? And this is something that has come up a couple of times in the past on the show as well, where, you know, people have started to discuss longer term contracts. And I've actually done that in my past as well. You know, when we've reached out to influencers for a quote and they give you a quote for, hey, here's what it's going to cost for one newsletter promotion or one to eat and so on. And more often than not, I'm the one going back and asking, can you tell me what we can sit together and plan out for the next six months or three months? Because I realize that as a marketer also, and if you are especially trying to promote your brand, one post is not going to cut it. Even if you get good success with it, you would want to figure out how to continue to do it, right? And the thing is, it's very hard to make a decision on just one post with one influencer. And from the influencer side, and I guess this is a tip for all influencer marketers out there is every platform that you try as a marketer as well in general, you don't just do one campaign and decide whether the platform works for you or not, right? Whether it was LinkedIn ads in the past, Instagram ads, Twitter ads, Facebook ads, whatever it is. We've consistently tried to reiterate on the messaging, try different design formats and so many other things before giving up on something, right? And the same thing applies to influencer marketing as well. 
I think there are some unrealistic expectations that you're going to sponsor an influencer, they're going to put out a post and, you know, you're going to get the cash register ringing and that just doesn't happen. So you feel disappointed that, hey, I was hoping that some big thing is going to happen, but it didn't happen. And the way to work around that is to really look at the influencer as a partner in growth and try to sit down and figure out what you would want to do together over a three-month period, six-month period, potentially a 12-month period, because that's when the influencer will also be fully invested in making sure that you succeed as a brand. Definitely. I was part of a like an H&M partnership years ago where in addition to the ambassadorship that they did have, they were sort of like these extra surprise and delight experiences for their creators. So, you know, they would send them extra product just because, or they put on a little like influencer dinner, like just because it wasn't part of the original agreement. It wasn't even required that they attend per se. But like I saw all of those influencers just end up posting additional content and genuinely feel more brand affinity after those instances. And so it's just good business. Like it's just smart to take it beyond a transactional one-off deal and very synergistic with what I was explaining before. I'm so into trial and error. Like you have to test and learn. And you literally can't do that if it's a one-time partnership. And like what you were describing, like it just doesn't happen that you can do one partnership and immediately rack in all this money. That's not what happens. Yep. Any tips and advice you would give to somebody who is aspiring to be an influencer marketer or a talent manager? And you know, how do they get their career started? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a tough time right now, just because the job market is so wonky. Unfortunately, I'm just privy to a lot of people who are out of work, who are incredibly talented, but we're just unfortunately part of some layoffs. So it's a very difficult time now. I mean, selfishly, I would say like check out WIM because it's a networking group. And so networking and getting to know people on like a very real authentic basis is just going to help you regardless of whether you're actively looking or passively looking or maybe in the future this person will help you. That's the fundamentals of networking. We also have a job fair that's in August and we do it twice a year. So that's really helpful. I'm a huge LinkedIn nerd. So I'll always recommend like there's so much that LinkedIn has to offer, whether you create content on there or you're simply looking for a job. So set up job alerts on LinkedIn. You can get pretty granular with what you're looking for. But I guess the best advice that I can give is like, just put it out there in the universe, what you're looking for. Be open-minded, especially right now, because it is a difficult market, but you got to put out there as much as humanly possible, whether it's via social or just via conversations that you're having with people, what you're looking for, who you're interested in meeting with. And those things will come back to you tenfold, but you got to put it out there. Makes sense. And as we come towards the end of this conversation, one fun question, if you were to take out an influencer to lunch or dinner, who would that person be and what? The people who kind of impress me the most, they're not your typical influencers. Like there are some people on like LinkedIn, for example, that I probably could legitimately go out to dinner with, but I'm like too nervous and geeked out to ask them. <laughs> it's like people who are just very impressive in business. And, you know, they're in that unique space that I was talking about earlier, where they're, they're creators and that they 
create on LinkedIn and, and, you know, certain platforms and stuff like that, but they're more on the entrepreneur side or they've built a business or, you know, something like that. I saw someone really interesting, an article on the guy who started Parcast of all platforms and blanking on his name, but he started Parcast, sold it to Spotify for a hundred million dollars. And he was at Spotify for about three years. And now he just posted how he's going out on his own again to like start something new. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, that's so intriguing. Like, I just want to talk to people who are building things in the creator economy. Those people are the people who intrigue me the most personally. Awesome. That's great. So Jesse, for our listeners who are marketers and brands, do you have any last piece of advice before we sign off for today? Yeah, just like dive into all the social platforms. We talk about this a lot in WIM, the idea of personal branding and how important it is. As influencer marketers, it's so ingrained in us to promote everybody else, to you know promote that brand that you're hired by or promote the influencer that you're you know managing. And we are always last. And I would just empower everyone listening that like you have a lot of thoughts and opinions about the creator economy. If you're listening to this podcast, like it's a passion point for you. And I want to hear what your thoughts are. And a lot of other people do too. So get on platforms like LinkedIn, start a podcast, like whatever it is, but don't be afraid to share your thoughts and in turn, create a bit of a personal brand around it. It opens up so many doors. I can't emphasize that enough. I think that is incredible advice. And I think it applies to all founders and marketers alike and not just influencer marketing folks, because we get so busy talking about the brand that we work for and we want to promote that we rarely ever give enough credibility to our own personal brand. So I think that's great advice. And on that note, thank you so much for joining us and spending so much time. I think it was an incredible session. Lots of interesting takeaways for influencers as well as marketers and brands. Thank you again, Jesse. Thanks a lot for joining. Thank you for having me. And for anyone who wants to take things offline or you know grab a coffee, follow me on LinkedIn or on Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you guys. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jesse. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get phylo.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.